You're listening to Search for Truth. Hello and a warm welcome and thanks for tuning in. We're fast approaching Christmas Day and there are lots of decisions to be made before it arrives. If you're anything like my wife, you started making those decisions weeks ago. What to buy, what gifts to give, what to cook, what to wear, where to go, etc, etc. It's decisions, decisions. And today's talk's entitled, The Biggest Decision. I wonder what it is. Brian, please enlighten us. Yes, thanks, John. I want to talk about the heart of the Christmas event today. By that I mean the nativity story. It's very easy to talk about on radio because I don't need any visuals. And that's because you can visualise the scene so easily because it's represented so often on Christmas cards. You know what I mean. The scene with the crib, with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds along with the cattle. Yes, we can picture it easily enough. But I want to ask if you believe it. I mean, really believe it. Did it actually happen the way it's told us in the Bible? For example, in the opening chapter of the Gospel by Matthew. Is it credible to believe in a child being conceived and born without a human father being involved? You'd not be alone if your reaction was, come on, you don't really believe that, do you? Isn't it just a comforting delusion to warm our winter evenings? It's pure escapism. It's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, people back then were simpletons. They didn't properly understand where babies came from. This story must have grown out of superstition, along with the misplaced trees and tinsel and the even more inappropriate reindeer. The same people would say to us, we've long since outgrown that stuff. Get real. We're modern thinkers of the 21st century. This is an age of reason. We live in a universe governed by science and the laws of nature. Many people, especially humanists and the new atheists, get hot under the collar about the Christmas story, as it's referred to. Some even take strong exception to it and splutter and fume against it. Others just take a fuzzy, patronising view of the nativity story. Yeah, the Bible says it happened, but there again, well, it would say that, wouldn't it? Still, don't make a fuss. It's nice for the children. Can't do any harm. But the new breed of atheists would say, rubbish, we shouldn't be telling lies to our kids. The facts are wrong. It's utterly impossible. There, of course, they would say that. After all, it's their belief. The question is, which side are you on? Lots of people just avoid the issue and simply major on having a good time, possibly singing along to much-loved Christmas carols. It's such a nostalgic time, for we remember the Christmases of our childhood. It's sentimentalism gone wild, unashamedly so, because there's a kind of fairy tale romance about the story. In other words, there's a feel-good factor about all of this. We can make believe there's going to be peace on earth and we're going to have a prosperous new year, despite any recession. Ah, don't spoil it. Don't burst the bubble. Let's just enjoy the feel-good factor a bit longer. Long live the make-believe. But wait a minute. Sentimentalism or scientific nonsense? Are those the only choices on the menu this Christmas? No, they're not. And you know what? I think Joseph can help us see that. Don't we tend to forget about Joseph and all this? 
What was his take on it back then, in those simple times when people allegedly believed anything, no matter how unscientific it was? Matthew 1 verse 18 tells us, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfil what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. When Joseph saw his fiancée was going to have a baby, he didn't stroke his beard in wonder. He started filing for divorce. Now, why on earth would a simpleton want to do that? Could it be because he already had a pretty good working knowledge of biology? Yeah, that was it. The laws of nature dictate that a girl doesn't ordinarily have a baby unless she's been sleeping with a man. Joseph knew that fact just as well as we do, and he knew it wasn't him. So he drew what he thought was the obvious conclusion. Do you get it? He didn't buy the myth. His actions removed the argument for all this being irrational superstition. Good old Joseph. He was a cynic like the best of us. He acted just exactly like modern sceptics do, with the difference being he was a lot closer to the action than we are. And the point is, something changed his mind. In the end, Joseph didn't divorce Mary. Instead, he became a believer. Which helps me to see that faith doesn't have to be a denial of biology, or any other science for that matter. Joseph did not have blind faith. He first of all agreed with the usual science of childbirth, but was persuaded by the evidence to the contrary. You see, our modern objections were already built into the original story, meaning Joseph's faith wasn't blind faith. His decision not to divorce Mary was as rational a decision as any that he, you or I have ever made. Without any doubt, this was the biggest decision of this man's life, and one he took with the greatest of care, when he'd every reason at first to come to the opposite conclusion. His final decision, which was not to divorce, was one for which he would have needed, and he clearly did receive, undeniable evidence that something or someone had wonderfully stepped into the picture. Joseph became a totally convinced believer in the identity of the child in the manger. Remember, he'd everything to lose if he was deluded. Until the day he died, he had to put up with the town gossip wherever he went, with all its smirking innuendo. Joseph's actions are a small but significant part of the reason why I'm not an atheist. 
I tell you honestly, I've no interest in the sentimentalism of a feel-good Christmas. That doesn't cut it for me. But I intend to have a level-headed celebration of how the one who wrote the laws of biology later rewrote them when he was supernaturally born to be my saviour. In fact, I'm not sure if I should say that he rewrote the laws of nature at all. Let me share this illustration with you. A man one day put 20 British pounds in his bedside drawer. The next day he put another 20 British pounds in that same drawer. Then on the third day he counts his money in the drawer and finds it amounts to only 15 pounds. How can that be? How is it possible that the laws of arithmetic have been broken? Ah, you say, they've not. The laws of arithmetic have not been broken, but it seems as if the laws of England have been broken by some thief, breaking in and stealing some of the money he'd deposited there. That thief wasn't a prisoner to the laws of arithmetic when he stole the money, and I say to you that neither was God a prisoner to the laws of nature when he became a glorious intruder and entered into our history. This story of the origin of the child in the manger defines our search for the origin and meaning of life itself. And if we let it, it also ends our search for the origin and meaning of life. I believe God's Son entered into a simple home on earth so that I can go to a mansion in heaven. And by the way, so can you if you seriously believe in all that it led to some 33 years later. If we know where this baby came from, then we too can know where we are going. I'm calling on each one of us to believe in a grown-up way that God gave his one and only son. Like Joseph, you have now the biggest decision of your life to make.
I'd like to recommend you obtain the transcript booklet of this series of talks. If you'd like to receive one, make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title Hope for Humanity. You can order by email or by post, and I'm about to give you our contact details, so if you've pen and paper to hand, you can make a note. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You may be interested to know that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air by means of podcasts. If you go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com you can browse the list of previous talks which you'll see has been sorted into categories to help you find what you're looking for. Now, it's been great to have the privilege of your company today. Many thanks. And next week, we've yet another talk in this series of Hope for Humanity. So I do hope you can join us again. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Oh,